Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, please, and open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and also Philippians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled The Blessedness of Unity. The Blessedness of Unity. Well, you'll notice there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 13, Paul asks a very simple question using three words. He asks the question, is Christ divided? And the answer is implied. It's a rhetorical question. The answer is implied in the question. The answer is no. Christ is not and never will be divided. However, the church in Corinth was divided. Today, the people of God are divided. Churches are divided. Denominations are divided. Even movements are divided. Yes, division is not of Jesus. It's not his heart. It's not an answer to his prayer. It's not reflective even of the unity that we find in the Godhead. Jesus took unity so vital, as so vitally important that remember he taught in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. You can jot it down. It says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself, mark these words, will not stand. When Mark records this teaching, he uses the phrase, cannot stand. Jesus laid down an absolute for us, a vital truth that we all have to remember. Division erodes, division undermines, and division ultimately destroys. We won't and we cannot even stand without unity. There's an inherent weakness that tears away at the fabric and substance of every relationship, but especially the church relationship when division enters in. Nothing and no one divided against itself can stay vibrant and strong. Do you know if you want to hold your place in 1 Corinthians, go back with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. It records for us a prayer of Jesus that he prayed out loud. He prayed in public so everybody could hear. And you may be surprised to learn this, or perhaps you already know, that at least five times in this prayer recorded for us, Jesus prays for unity. He prays for unity among his followers. And he doesn't just pray for the followers then. Notice with me, pick up in John 17, pick up in verse 20. John 17, verse 20. He extends his prayer to our generation and every successive generation of the church and of believers on into the future. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one 
as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that we are one. Jesus is praying that the unity of his church will be so strong, it will be a message and a testimony to the watching world. That's how vital unity is, how important it is. Five times Jesus mentions unity. The concern of Jesus' prayer is our concern today. Unity over disunity. That the church would humble herself, humble herself that we individually would humble ourselves dying to ourselves, and that we would fight to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is so much sent our way that causes disunity and division. And oftentimes, we are distracted by it, and we're the source of it. I love how Pastor Chuck Swindoll defines unity as he contrasts it with other words. Let me quote him. Union has affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Unanimity is complete agreement across the board. Then he says, unity, however, refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on major points of doctrine. You can say that when we are unified in the Spirit, we are most like Jesus in our surrender and dependence upon the Father. We are most like Jesus when we're in unity. Unity is so important that the Bible instructs us to fight for it. You know, you don't need to fight for disunity because there's so much fighting in the disunity and in the division. But the Bible says, don't fight, don't fight for disunity. That comes naturally. That, that's a fleshly response to selfishness and pride, as we'll see in a moment. No, the Bible instructs us that we're to fight to maintain the unity that we've been given in the Spirit. You could put it this way. All of us, when we were born again, we were born again into unity, into a new family, into the Spirit. And here's what the Bible says. You can jot it down in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring means to strive for or to fight for and to protect and guard the unity that is ours in the Spirit. The true basis for real Christian unity is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's at the cross. And as we worship Him in spirit and in truth, we come to the cross where we find other believers there and ever, other Christians focused on Jesus, worshiping Jesus, and together looking not at ourselves, looking not at each other, but looking up at the cross, we're in perfect unity finding our, our, the wealth of our being and our identity in the risen Lord. I know, I don't need to say this, but it bears repeating. Division has done more damage to the body of Christ than just about anything else. There's a lot of things that's hurt the church over the years, but division has utterly destroyed churches through the years. Now, of course, it hasn't destroyed the church but has done, done a lot of damage along the way. 
Hey, I've been pastoring in this particular church now for 21 years, and I can say without any reservation, division and divisive people have done more damage in this church than anything else over the years. And I've watched it just about every year. There is some new divisive thing or some new agenda or some new divisive person, someone that wants to sow seeds of discord that hurt and harm people that just want to come together and worship Jesus with others. Division destroys. And it's very painful for pastors. And like much of the time that pastors spend in ministering here is to try to heal and try to bring back people that have been divisive or have been caused division or have sowed seeds of discord. You know, this is very important because you may look at yourself today and go, well, I would never do that. I would never be a part of that. And, and I think that's a great motive and a great desire. But as we examine our lives, there isn't one of us that's listening to me that hasn't committed this sin at some time in their lives. Talking about someone behind their back, gossiping, lying, destroying someone's character. It can be in degrees, you know, from a scale of one to 10, you could be a one or a two, you could be a 10 or a 15. But the reality is, is this is a temptation to all of us. And division leaves lasting damage. Oh, not just to the local body of Christ, but like bitterness, division defiles. Division erodes, and division has destroyed churches, movements, denominations. Division has destroyed marriages, friendships, and families, and it leaves the church shredded like a garment. And the testimony of a divisive church has no effect in a divisive world. When the church looks like the world, the world doesn't notice the church. There's no offense of the gospel. There's no proclamation of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ when they're squabbling and fighting among us. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and notice that before Paul gets into all the difficulties that were in the church in Corinth, and believe me, there were many, he deals with the issue of division first. I mean, there were some serious things in the church in Corinth. There was rampant sexual sin. There was sin among the leaders. There was taking advantage of communion. I mean, on and on. There were lists and lists and lists of things that Paul addressed in his letter to the church in Corinth. But before he gets to any of it, he deals with this issue of division. And notice he says in verse 10, he, he puts his pastor hat on and he begs with them. And how many times I felt that in my own heart where I needed to come to our church and beg us to do the right thing. Church, let's do the right thing. Would you please hear me? I know it's hard. That's where Paul is. And today that's where I am. And Paul says this. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing that there be no divisions among you. If you like to write in your Bibles, you can circle that word and you can write schisms. It is the Greek word schismatos and it means to split. It means to tear and it means to create factions. Hey, I don't want any, any of the body of Christ to be split up. 
I don't want the body of Christ to be torn down and torn apart. Paul says, I don't want you guys as the local body of believers in Corinth, I don't want you to be all split up over the people you follow and over the people you pay attention. I don't want any little holy huddles. I want you to be of the same mind. I want you to say the same thing. I want you, he says at the end of verse 10, to be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Why, verse 11? Because it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions, or in other words, there are quarrels among you. He says, I don't want you guys to be divisive. It's not even something that should be said, but it needs to be said. I don't want you to be divisive. I don't want you caught up in your factions. I don't want you identifying by certain people you're following. or I want you to identify yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ. And even on today, 2,000 years later, it still continues in the church. Now I know we, you may think that in one of the most divisive times in our generation, I mean here in the year 2020, it's one of the most divisive times I can ever recall as an adult. One of the most difficult times among the church family. One of the most difficult times culturally, politically, emotionally. All of it is so charged, so ch- challenging. Divi- division is at every turn. But you know, it's always been that way. There's a sense where division has always been among us. Why? Because humans have always been among us. And so it's not just our generation that's dealing with division. 2,000 years ago, it almost destroyed the church in Corinth. As a matter of fact, as you read any of the letters that Paul wrote to churches, you will find that in every letter, he addressed division. He addressed the warning against division. He addressed encouragement toward unity because it's always been the devil's desire to draw down, and his heart is to destroy the church, but he'll take whatever he'll get. We know that the true church, the gates of hell will never prevail. However, people will get picked off. Churches and and movements of churches that were once strong and vibrant, destroyed and dissipated and gone. Why? Because of division. And he knows that he can make great inroads into destroying a church's effectiveness by causing us to go against each other. Wars, fights, opposition, arguments, opinions, clashes, battles, they're all among us. And you add to that the differences, real and perceived, that keep man against man. And you know, it's hard to keep unity. That's why the Bible says we need to fight for it. That it's worthy to fight to maintain that unity of the spirit that's in the bond of peace. Now, if you're new to our church, we're a part of a fellowship family known as Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel is a movement of churches that started in the late 60s as God apprehended the heart of a man by the name of Pastor Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California. God put a burden, a very special burden upon he and his wife and those that were surrounding him to reach the unreached of the day, which happened to be the hippies. Perhaps you were a hippie one day, well, back then. We praise God that you're saved and you're walking with the Lord. He was a part of what was known as the Jesus movement. Now, I'm not so encouraged exactly by that phrase because the Jesus movement started uh, from eternity, right? But I know what they're trying, I know what they're trying to describe. It was a very special time in the history of the church. And from that time, 
where Pastor Chuck began to teach the Bible and thousands upon thousands of people started to come to his church and then hundreds of men would go out and plant churches. We're a part of that particular stream of Christianity. That those are our roots. Now, of course, our roots back in the book of Acts. We're a part of the larger church of Jesus Christ. But our identity has something to do with the movement of churches through Pastor Chuck Smith. And what a blessing it is. I happened to walk into a church that was planted by Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. So I walked into a church, I was saved there, then we moved here, and we get to see it repeated over and over again. Why do I share that with you today? Well, I want you to know in the very beginning of our church, in the very early days, we adopted the philosophy of ministry that Pastor Chuck Smith handed down to us. Handed it down to my pastor, Jeff. Jeff handed it down to me, and now I get to share it with you. And it's a very simple paragraph that defines our heart and how we relate to other churches in our community. Because it's important. It's important to understand how do we relate to other churches in our community. I can say it very simply before I read the paragraph. We are not in competition with any church in town. We are complementary to the churches in town. We work together with every true church in our community that preaches the gospel and holds to the essentials of the Christian faith. We are together with them. We want to serve and reach our city with them. We all have our own purposes, you know, the unique church. Uh, We all have our own uh, purpose why God has put us here. But together, we make up the body of Christ. So listen to what Pastor Chuck wrote. It used to be on our bulletins. It's up on our website because we still believe it today. So here's what he wrote, and here's what we believe. And I quote, Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed to his image by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not a denominational church nor are we opposed to denominations as such. We are opposed only to the emphasis of non-biblical teachings that divide the body of Christ. We believe the true basis of Christian fellowship is God's love, which is greater than our differences. Without his love, we have no right to say that we are Christians. In our DNA, we put this in writing, We are against division. Why? Because Jesus is against division among the believers. Jesus prayed for unity. And our very DNA is not to emphasize all of our differences and to minimize each other because we're different, but to maximize the work of the Spirit. Here's the problem. The real problem begins is when we start to build up walls between us And we make it harder to reach a lost world. It begins with this movement of separating ourselves. Separating from each other as we begin to see ourselves as segments of the church rather than seeing ourselves as a part of the whole body of Christ. You know, we just start to emphasize your little segment, your little cause, what you're into instead of seeing you. Well, you're a part of the body of Christ. And we fit in with the wholeness of what God's doing, not just what God has called us to do individually. So for us, you know, we might begin to see a church down the street blessed and just overflowing with people. The revival is taking place. People are being saved. And they they go from five people to 5,000 overnight. Or maybe someone comes to town and they plant a new church. 
and start a new work near us, whatever near us might mean. Our first response, if we're not careful, could be, well, wait a minute. You know, they're such and such, and they don't believe like us, and they don't do this that way, or they don't do that the right way. They're not like us. They're different. Well, let me just say, praise God that they're different than us. Different doesn't mean wrong. Different means different. Now, I didn't look it up from last night because it came to my mind. I don't know what the Greek word means, but I'm sure if I looked up the Greek word, you know what it would mean? Different. And I praise God for the different, diverse ministries that hold to the core values, the core teachings of the Bible, but do things differently. Because the last time I looked in our church, we have not reached the 450,000 people that live in Aurora. We haven't reached them. And I don't believe it's God's will for us as a church to reach every single one of them. God has called us to be a part of his body to reach who he desires us to reach. But he's also raised up this church over here and this pastor over here and this evangelist over here and the ministry of the body to do the work that God has called us to do. How? In unity. Because the power of unity actually speaks louder than our words. And without unity in a divided, fractured church, we do great damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just because someone's different doesn't mean they're bad. Just because a church does things, you know, some churches may be more emotional than we are. Well, people can be more emotional. Some people may be more theological and their teaching is a lot higher level. Well, some people love to learn that way and they're more theological. Some churches are more outreach oriented. Some churches are more cause oriented. Some churches like ours are very biblical in our teaching and we're committed. This is what we do here. Not everybody's happy with what we do here. Uh, They're not always happy when we don't latch on to a cause and we don't jump. No, because we're just, hey, this is where we fit in the body. This is how we fit. We teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, allowing the Spirit of God to take the Word of God to change the people of God. That's what we're committed to. We'll never veer from it. It will always be what we do. We are committed as a church family, a small part of the body, but a part of the larger body, to get the Word of God out constantly, continually through the gift of biblical teaching. So much so that God led us He led us a few years ago to provide our community, to buy our to provide our community 24 hour a day, seven day a week, with the exception of Saturdays, Bible teaching. Anytime you turn on the radio. Like like when you're asleep, your church is reaching out to this community. Or when you're working the the mid-shift or the overnight shift, you know the word of God is going and going and going, and seeds are being planted all over. And do you know that Grace FM is a support to all true churches in our community? Like when somebody gets saved and they're out on the Eastern Plains, you know what they do? They find a church and they plug in to be discipled. When they are in another part of town and the Word of God captures their heart, they plug in. They call for help. They email. You have the opportunity as a church to fulfill. We can't do everything, but God has called us very specifically to do what He wants us to do. And division can come when you want the church or you want someone to do what they haven't been called to do. 
And you need to celebrate what someone's been called to do without being upset that they weren't called to do what you were called to do. We complement one another. Not, I believe one of the, you know, when we moved here in 1999 to plant the church and to see what God wanted to do, we, wouldn't, we didn't know, even as we're still discovering God's will for our church, but we didn't know what God wanted to accomplish. We weren't sure what exactly our fit or our identity or what God wanted to do in this community. But over time, we saw these things start to reveal themselves. And one of the things that I didn't anticipate, uh, I didn't plan, it wasn't on my writing, you know, planning. One of the things I didn't anticipate was this sense that this church would be a support to other churches. That we would continually pray financially. We would do things that would continue to pour seeds of encouragement and strength to other churches. I would have never seen that coming. I would have never even thought of that. But over the years, God has allowed us to support other churches. We're not in competition with any church in town. If there's another church in town that's overflowing and bustling, that's good for heaven. Did you know that? That's good for the kingdom. We rejoice. We're happy. Do you know hundreds of people right now are praying for Aurora? They're praying and they're on the edge wondering, should we move, honey? Should we not move, honey? Should we go? We think God wants. They're praying right now for your city, for your neighbors, perhaps even us wanting to come and support a church. Division gets us at one another. And we can't be happy when someone else sees success. We can't be happy when someone else is experiencing greatness while God, we should rejoice when God is doing something new and fresh in our city. We're not gonna compromise, and it's important to state this at this point. We're not gonna compromise sound doctrine, church. We're not going to, for the sake of unity, we might try to, you know, some, some churches advocate, well, you know, don't teach that and don't teach about the blood of Jesus. Well, we're not, that, that is not what we're speaking of at all. We're not going to compromise sound doctrine. We're going to hold true to what the Bible teaches. And we're going to hold true to who we are as a church. There may be different, we may be different than other churches, but different doesn't mean bad. We are committed to the core principles of who we are as a church and what God wants to do through us. However, we also want, in celebrating differences, we need to remember that God takes all the differences, all the distinctions, all the diversities, and he brings them together in Christ. Because this world is filled with differences, distinctions, and diversities, and that's how he reaches a lost world. With that in mind, as we wind down, would you go over to Philippians with me, chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2, because the question remains, how? What's the pathway to unity? Simply said, the pathway to unity is humility. The pathway to unity is humility. In chapter 2 of Philippians, a lot of attention, as it should be, is paid to the second portion of Philippians, where it speaks of Jesus emptying this eternal Son of God, emptying himself and taking on a human body. It's a fascinating, amazing, theological, practical portion of Scripture. But sometimes the first few verses get overlooked. And in verse 1 it says... Philippians chapter 2. 
Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love and being of one accord, one mind. Truly the path of unity is Jesus, faith in him. You could say it this way, when you were born again, not only did you have your sins forgiven, all your guilt and shame removed, not only you become a new creation of Christ, old things pass away, behold, all things become new, but when you were born again, you were born again to a new unity that you never experienced before. You were born into the unity of the Spirit. And from that moment you were born again, there's been a battle to divide you from Christ and from one another. You are born again into unity. That's the only way imperfect people can walk in perfect unity. Now that word in verse 1, therefore, if, this is another rhetorical statement that Paul makes. It's actually implied. You can, you can retranslate the word if, sense. He says because of. Because there's encouragement in Christ. That's what consolation means. Because there's comfort in the agape love of God. Because there's fellowship. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And do you know you can never experience fellowship without unity? They go together. You can't have fellowship and be divided at the same time. Koinonia is the sweetest relationship we can have with one another. The word comes to us from the, 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 the dinner table. You know, in ancient Israel, in the first century church, koinonia, when they, it literally means to share in common. And it comes to us from the kitchen table as they would share a meal together. That was the closest sense of unity and intimacy that you could share. The idea is this. They would take the pita bread. They would take a piece off of it, hand it to the next person. They would take a piece off of it, hand it to the next And everyone would take of that same bread. It reminds you of communion, doesn't it? Jesus took that same example and he put it all into eternity. He says, I want you, every time you do this, every time you take of the bread, and every time you drink of the cup, I want you to remember me. I want you to know that that's a communing time with me. Not only is it a communing time, like, like two of the times that we are most in unity as a church is number one, when we're singing together, and number two, when we take communion. Because things just fade away. And we're singing the same lyrics, same tempo, same melody, and then we're taking of the same bread and the same cup that remind us of the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood. Because there are these things, Paul says in verse 2, I want you to be like-minded. It brings, he says it would bring him joy. You know, it brings a pastor joy when there's unity in the church. It brings a pastor joy when there is a sense of peace and unity among the believers. But I have to say, it also brings the pastor a sense of sadness, even frustration when there's rampant disunity in the church, when there are people actively seeking to divide, openly sinning, and others within the body participating in such a sin, when there is talking behind people's backs and there is gossip and slander when there is the destruction of someone's character. There are times when I don't even know which is worse, the sin of gossip or the sin of listening to it. 
And I think it's important that you recognize that as a believer, you can be equally guilty of division by receiving lies as by sharing lies. Notice what it says here in verse 3. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Here are two enemies to, to unity. Number one, selfishness. Selfish ambition. It describes the person with an elevated view of himself who wants his way regardless of who else is hurt or stepped on. Enemy number one, selfishness. Enemy number two, pride, which conceit is another word for. Prideful selfishness and arrogance create more division. Back in verse two, division takes away like-mindedness. Division takes away love. Division takes away the, that unity of the spirit and it has people's minds going all over the place. He says, no, let everything be done or let nothing be done through selfish ambition, but instead a lowliness of mind, let each of us esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You know, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we didn't read it, but there's a section there in that where Paul is pleading and begging for unity in the church. He's got that pastor hat on, and he's like, man, come on, guys. And then he says, it's been reported to me by some in Chloe's household that there are divisions. And I think that one of the people we want to meet in heaven are those in Chloe's household. Because although she's only mentioned here, and we don't know who else is in her household, she goes down in biblical history as a woman in her household that took a stand for righteousness and took a stand for unity no matter the cost. And she let Paul know, hey, this is going on and it needs to be dealt with. It's the biggest issue in the church in Corinth. I mean, he ends up writing 16 chapters uh, to the church in Corinth, but at the very beginning, because of Chloe's bravery and because of her strength, her family was able to say, Paul, here's the issue. This is the issue in our church. It's division. And she stood for what is right. Looking out without selfishness, without an agenda, without a cause, without an, her only concern, her only cause was the cause of Christ. So Paul says, look, this is the pathway to unity, humility. Would you think for others? Would you look out for others' interests? I like that word interests because that's something that divides most of us, our interests. Some of you are more sports-minded. Some of you are into cars. Some of you like to read. Some of you like to garden. And you can go on and on and on and on of the differences of our interests. And he says, would you, and I think he means spiritually, of course, but he says, would you just, would you just, Acknowledge that other people have interests that are different than yours and make room for them. One of the ways that we can look out for others' interests, and it's, it's actually very easy to do, it's to listen to them and learn about them. Yeah, maybe you're not into that, but they're into that. And as you learn about what they're into and why and what their interests might be, you're able then to acknowledge the value that that person has in your life. 
Even meeting somebody for the first time. Just being fascinated with their differences, not judgmental about their differences, especially in the body of Christ, especially who we are today. Don't live selfishly because selfishness destroys. Live in such a way where you are building one another up, not tearing one another down. Look out for others. You see, if I think about your success as a believer, as I plan for your success, as I pray for your success, and I genuinely hope for your success, and I work with you for your success, then I'll rejoice in your success. I'll be happy with you. This is great. Even if it is different. It's like, yes, you do what God has called you to do. Yes. That's not what God's called me to do, but you do what God's called you to do, and I'll do what God's called me to do, and together we're the body of Christ, instead of just thinking of our own interests, because we're so passionate about it, or because it's so important to us. The cross of Jesus Christ is what will heal the fragmentation of Christians wherever they are, including in our own church, and whatever divisions exist here. As I mentioned earlier, Division and sowing seeds of discord have done more damage in this church in 21 years than just about anything else. Not only the people that divide from within the church, but also the people that leave this church and continue to sow seeds of discord, trying to tear down believers in this church. And, and it's unbelievable how someone can take up a cause to divide instead of unite. But see, as church, we have to take a stand for what is right. We need to be as Chloe's household and stand for what is right and promote unity and love to bring a stop to this, not to listen to it, not to entertain it. This is serious stuff here because when you participate in division, you are on the wrong side of God. You're on the wrong side of God. You go, Ed, what do you mean? Hold your place here. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 6 with me. Proverbs chapter 6. When you and I participate in division, whether we're actively sowing seeds of discord or we're cooperating with it or, or we're not standing in the gap for the sake of the body of Christ, for the bride of Christ, we're on the wrong side of God. And these are serious, sobering words. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, this is what the Bible says. These six things the Lord hates and seven are an abomination to him. And then he lists them. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil. And notice this, these last two. A false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among the brethren. God loves unity. He loves to bless the brethren and sisters in unity. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And when a person participates in discord and division, they're on the wrong side of God. And we don't want to be on the wrong side of God. We want to have our eyes back on the Lord. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, is Christ divided? The answer is no. Jesus is never divided. 
We need to get our eyes off of causes and concerns and back on the cross. We need to get our eyes off of symbols and people and men and celebrities and get our eyes back on the Lord, following Him, knowing that the message of the gospel is Christ crucified and rose again, that we would be in a place of surrender because Jesus isn't divided. It's in Him we find peace, and it's in Him we find rest and hope and help. You know, marriages have been divided, friendships have been divided, relationships have been divided, destroyed, cannot stand. We need to stop talking about people behind their backs. We need to remember we're fighting the devil. That's the war, folks. Our war is spiritual. He's making inroads into people's lives because he can get the church off track through a variety of things that are not eternal. Perhaps one of the surprises of heaven for all of us at the Bema seat, you know, when our works and our lives are judged for how we live for Christ, perhaps one of the big surprises is how much time we wasted on things that were not eternal. And we look back and go, whoa. You know, there's a lot of conjecture on that phrase in Revelation where the Bible speaks of God wiping away our tears. Why would there be tears in heaven? It's the most rejoicing, great revelation of our lives. Why would there be tears in heaven? Perhaps there's one last look of what could have been in our lives as our works are burned up in the fire. It's not too late to course correct, church. It's not too late to be champions for unity first in our church, and then among other churches. You know, the Holy Spirit, one of the pictures and types of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is a dove. The Holy Spirit's likened to a dove. You know, in the early days of our church, still on the corner of our building, because we haven't changed the sign yet, and on the sign on the corner, we have in our logo a dove. That's what it is. It's not the state of Texas. It's a dove. People have asked, why do you have the state of Texas in your logo? It's not the state of Texas. It's a dove. And in the early days of Calvary Chapel, the dove was chosen as that picture of type to identify Calvary Chapel, but also to identify the heart of our ministry. And that hasn't changed. Our logo might change, the name of the church might change, but our philosophy of ministry has never changed. Our heart is not only to teach the Bible verse by verse, but also to be open to a fresh work in the empowerment and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so that dove, and we still have it in the, in the foyer there, the dove will always remind us that the Spirit of God wants to descend upon you like he did on Jesus in the baptism and like he did on the early church on the day of Pentecost. The work of God is not ended. Now the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove, but any division in the body of Christ grieves the Holy Spirit, restricts the Holy Spirit from working in your life. So that the Spirit of God, like a dove, would withdraw from us as a church and withdraw his influence. And if you have a division in your life, whatever division exists in this church will get us nowhere. It will stunt our growth and stop our progress. No kingdom, no house, no church no marriage, no friendship, no relationship will stand or can stand when it's divided against itself. 
God is calling us to be reminded of our unity that's so needed. We don't need to fight for division. We need to take that energy and fight to maintain the unity of the Spirit. That doesn't mean all differences are going to go away. Unity implies that we acknowledge differences, but we in agape love overlook a fault of a brother or overlook a difference. We don't maximize each other. You know, we don't, we don't maximize the differences that we have. We maximize the love that we have together in Jesus. This is so important to us that as we were developing the axioms and the core principles of our church going forward a couple years ago, we included one, just like Pastor Chuck did many years ago, we included one for our church. These are all up on our website, but I'll read it to you, the one that specifically speaks of division. And we titled it, We Lock Our Shields. And this is a core principle of your church. We keep the battle on the outside and passionately defend against allowing it on the inside. We are united in battle. And then we quote Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Here's the explanation. Any army that fights needs unity based on authority to assure victory. The Roman army was known to lock their shields together so that they can make forward progress against the real enemies before them. On our team, on our staff, among our fellowship, we don't choose to fight against each other. The real battle is not against each other, but against the devil himself. We want to do away with any petty skirmishes among us so that we might join forces for the kingdom. We need to deal with things quickly. We need to stick up for each other. And if you have an issue with a brother or sister, it's always the right thing to talk to them and the wrong thing to talk about them. Like-mindedness is key in serving Jesus together. I mean, we put it in writing. Just like our pastor, Pastor Chuck, many years ago, put it in writing. We're against division. We have to. Why? Because the Bible teaches very, clean, very clearly and very plainly that division will erode, take away, and ultimately destroy those that are divided. And it's just not our desire. We want to be about our Father's business. And we want to be in unity. It doesn't mean all the differences are going to be swept away, and it doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect. But what it does mean is that as our eyes are on the cross together, God is able to bring us together. And we lock shields. We're on the same team. We're not opposed to one another. We're on the same team as believers. And the fight that we fight is not with each other. It's not even with people on the outside. Our fight is in the spiritual realm of the destructive work of the devil and his schemes and plans to destroy people's lives. Many of you were on that path, weren't you? I was on that path. The devil was having his way with me, my family, making bad decisions. I was on that pathway, but God rescued me and changed me, and he changed my team. Isn't that great? Did he change your team? He changed your team. You are no longer on the team of darkness, but now you're on the team of light. Listen, sports teams know unity is important. Corporations know unity is important. Like, it seems like everybody knows and values that unity is important. 
except the church. And church, we just go back to basics and acknowledge to God today, we don't want to be a part of the problem. We want to be a part of the solution. And it's God's desire in these last days with the world arguing and the world fighting and the world's always upset about something. We as the church, we can't be known like the world. We can't be like the world. We can't sound like the world. We can't look like the world because if we do, then we have no effect for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I know that this is it's an incomplete part for us, Lord. We, this is a failure on all of our parts, and we just collectively ask for your forgiveness. Uh, as, as much as we would want to absolve ourselves, this is a message that pokes and penetrates every listener near and far, including myself. I am certainly not innocent of some of the sins that I've mentioned today. And I pray, God, that you would not only forgive, but release. Not only would you forgive, but strengthen. Not only would you forgive, but help us to be agents of unity in a world of disunity. And that we would not think too highly of ourselves. But when we're thinking, we would think of others' interests, not only our own. That you would deal even right now, like you had an appointment with some today, you just want to deal a blow to pride and a blow to selfishness. For some, they need to be like Chloe's household and stand against this dastardly sin in some of the people they're connected with, some of the people they might even be communicating with, that they might speak the truth in love and no longer participate in this divisive nonsense but rather champion the cause of Christ and question why those sowing seeds of discord are on the wrong side of God. And truly, we would do best to talk to people rather than talk about them. And may we find that to be the habit of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.